Hello and welcome to the Pixel Swim podcast, episode 36. This is the podcast where I take a dive into my personal journey through design and technology and where they meet, plus other little tidbits I find interesting. My name is Steve Heinrich, the host. Uh, Just me again. This episode is being recorded on Wednesday, September 26th, and will be released on Thursday, September 27th, 2018. Visit Pixelswim.com for all the show notes and social links if you want to follow along or just check out the show notes in your podcast app to follow along as well. So, yeah, like I said, it's just me again. There's no guest for September. I have been trying to get a guest a month. Uh, just didn't pan out this month. I was kind of busy and it's hard to arrange all that stuff when there's a lot going on. So thanks for tuning in anyway. <laughs> Hopefully uh, I can hold down the fort here and, and produce another episode that you guys can enjoy without another voice <laughs> on the line. So anyway, let's dive into the weekly notes, feedback and links. Uh, there's actually quite a bit I'm going to go over, so I don't know if I'll get to any main stuff this week. Uh, there's a lot of, I put together a lot of stuff I want to talk about, so we'll probably run long in talking about all this stuff, so I don't really have a main part of the the podcast this week, So I'm pro- but I'll probably talk in depth about at least some of this. But So anyway, notes for this week. I did go to the Cubs and Sox game this last Saturday in Chicago and it was at the guaranteed rate field which is where the the home of the White Sox I am a White Sox fan <laughs> so hopefully no one will tune out after hearing that uh, this is baseball by the way and anybody wondering professional baseball here in the US and I went with my brother and the funny thing is is that uh, both teams are from Chicago the Cubs and the Sox and so my brother is actually a Cubs fan and I am a White Sox fan. So it was uh, it was fun. The, the crowd was mixed uh, with different, you know, fans, Cubs fans and Sox fans. But it was actually kind of fun. But yeah, I think mostly because the White Sox are pretty terrible this year. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it was a good time. I brought the LG G6 with me. It was a trooper. Um, I had the I have a quick charger in my car that, uh, you know, attaches to the cigarette lighter, quote unquote. And uh, from when I bought my Moto X4, I bought it around the same time when I had that. So it works uh, with this LG G6 and charges it up really, really nice and quick. So when I get in the car, I have a phone stand in my car and then I just put it, uh, just plug in the bottom, plug the, the quick charger into the bottom with the USB-C cable so and the charges up nice and quick so basically when i get there it it had or when i got there it had 100 percent charge so nice getting out of the car and having 100 percent charge just uh knowing that i'm not going to have to really worry about the battery because it's only got to get f- through a few hours you know so i could it can have some heavy use and, and not have to worry about it so uh, with that said i actually also finally ordered the anchor chi charger this week the quick charger for the LG G6. So I got that off of eBay. I see they they dropped the price. It was at I think $23. Now it's down to like 16, 15 or 16 bucks. So I decided to finally get one of those cuz I think that's going to make this ex- my experience with this device even better with the G6 uh, because of the wire the quick wireless charging. So essentially I kind of have it sitting on my desk during the day and you know pumping out some podcasts. <laughs> 
sound from the speaker. So the battery does, you know, tend to drain. And I had a, a regular Qi wireless charger, I think I mentioned in the past, but it basically barely it basically <laughs> was keeping the phone from discharging quickly, but it, the, it would still go down. It just wasn't a quick enough charger. So hopefully this anchor will take care of it. And essentially, I'll put it on the desk where I usually set the phone and just it'll be topped up and I won't have to worry about it uh, having to plug it in, you know, uh, because that's what I've been doing usually about halfway through the day, even though it's only down to, you know, 40 percent or so. I usually just plug it in to the quick charger and let it charge up again. But this way, again, it's just like when the car, when I get out of the car, it's at 100 percent. I can just when I, you know, walk around the house or, um, you know, I take my phone somewhere from my desk it will be topped up so that's a hoping that i can that that will work well so should be getting in that charger this week and uh hopefully like i said it's just i've really been enjoying the the g6 um it's a really kind of just fit I'll, you know it's i've really liked it. I, it it's fit with me so far uh, i had a similar feelings for the Moto G third generation, and so the uh, this LG G six is starting to feel a little bit the same. So I'm kind of investing, you know, in the uh, in accessories for it, which that's how I know that I'm liking a device is I kind of go out and start looking for things to complement it, and this G charger should be good for that. So uh, I also noticed that uh, because my the LG G six is on Oreo Android Oreo. Uh, with that update, they it came along with a Bluetooth notification that shows up in the notification shade when connected to Bluetooth device. And so basically what it says in the notification in the no that just kind of sits in the notification shade while you're connected to a Bluetooth device is it says the select the device for media audio. And I thought this was kind of a weird and annoying notification at first, because basically in the notification itself, you can select whether the audio comes out of the speaker on or the Bluetooth device that you're connected to or the speaker on the phone. And I thought, why? Like, this is annoying. Why is this here? But then I kind of <laughs> realized that I really I, I've started using it actually quite a bit, that option to switch back and forth between the phone speaker and the blue and a Bluetooth speaker. So I have my Nokia MD 12 Bluetooth speaker on my desk. And so I connect to that via Bluetooth and say, I want to, you know, I'm listening and I can listen to a podcast or something through that. And then if I, you know, need to go downstairs to the kitchen for something, then I can just tap the option to play the audio through the phone speaker without having to disconnect from the Bluetooth speaker. And it just seamlessly keeps playing the audio right from where it left off. And, you know, when I get back up in by my desk, I can easily select the the Bluetooth speaker again and it goes right back to the speaker. So I've, I've looked this up online to see if to try and find out if this was uh, an across the board Oreo thing or just an LG Oreo thing and or, you know, LG's version of Android on Oreo. Uh, and I, it, it seems like it's just in LG's version of Oreo that this notification comes up. And so I you know, like I, I was looking it up online to try and figure out figure it out if that was if it was just for if it was all of Android or just LG's Android and it 
And of course, what I came across was people complaining, well, how can I get rid of this notification, that kind of thing. But I just wanted to find out exactly what it was if this was available on other devices. So uh, another little thing that has just made this G6 even better for me. So interesting, you know, interesting, the little features that they add. And at first you kind of wonder why and then you start using it. And for me, it actually there's actually a use case for it. So I kudos to LG for for coming up with that. It's been really cool to to use it. Also kind of in the the my notes for the in the phone smartphone world is I was at Walmart the other day and I saw a blue BLU uh smartphone on display and blue is actually a company I think based out of Florida here in the US and they kind of create uh low cost smartphones. Uh, kind of low end as at, at the same time, but they've also been coming out with some, you know, higher spec phones, but they're much cheaper than the than flagships and mid even the mid range devices out these days. So I think they just came out with a like blue, like a Vivo 11 or some 11 plus or something like that. It basically kind of is an iPhone looking device. It's got a notch and everything, but it's like 300 bucks or something like that. And it's got like wireless charging and, and, and everything. So blue has always been kind of an interesting company when they first, when I first started seeing their devices years ago, I kind of thought that they were really cheap looking, you know, it wasn't anything I was interested in because I was, I just, you, you could tell, and and you know pr- by price alone and kind of the build quality on them that they were you know they were cheap they were just meant to be cheap smartphones you know cheap way into the smartphone world and so i uh like i say was saying i was at uh, walmart the other day and i saw one on display i've seen them on display at best buy too but this was uh kind of a newer blue phone that i was looking at i forget which model it was but uh the screen was actually pretty decent on it which was always kind of the thing that I thought would be, you know, a bad (laughs) aspect of these blue devices, but uh, it looked pretty good. So I, you know, for the prices that you can get these blue phones at at BLU, and it's supposed to be bold like us, I think is what they go for. But anyway, for the prices that they sell these phones for, uh, it's, it's always piqued my interest because, you know, I'm into the, the, you know, cheaper smartphones or the low and mid range, smartphones. So I've never had one. Um, I've never actually ordered one, but I am definitely curious (laughs) potentially in the future to try one out. So I don't know if anybody's had a blue phone over here in the US. I don't know if if you can get them in other places in the world or not, but they are becoming more prevalent in the US, especially in unlocked versions, uh, because they are, you know, so affordable. But if you've had one, let me know uh, your experience with it. I've seen a couple of family members now with them and they, you know, they just get on like a regular smartphone. You know, I know that the quality in the camera isn't as good, but that's just any kind of smartphone. You know, Uh, they're, they're not meant to be the top of the line, but they are meant to be affordable. So. They look very <laughs> interesting. So I'm going to keep my eyes on those because of that aspect. And I, I think they've just reshifted uh, their marketing or their their strategy with their smartphones where because they released a ton of devices. And so they I, I know it's difficult. I go on Amazon and and trying to dig through all of the different blue phones on there. 
And it's difficult to discern which one, you know, is at what level or what target each one is, you know. And so I guess they're shifting to kind of create less phones, but higher qualities. And hence that blue Vivo 11 plus or whatever. I think it's a Vivo, but I I could be wrong. But either way, it's like that's their big thing, too. And oh, and another thing with the blue phones is that I noticed in a lot of reviews that I've watched of them that they come with a lot in the box. They come with a case in the box. You know, they come with headphones in the box. They come with a lot of cool stuff in the box, you know, right out of the box. I think they were really the one of the first that re- phone manufacturers that I had seen that had and that included a case in the box, you know. So it's kind of a cool angle, you know, if you're just getting into the smartphone world or, you know, you just want an affordable smartphone, they offer a full package, you know, from uh, right out of the box, which is really, I think, a great, great thing that they're doing. So, but, you know, I don't know if they're long lasting or what, but I, and I also have seen that they, some of their devices have nice big batteries in them. So, and I think they use MediaTek chips most of the time. So I'm not sure, you know, the overall performance, how it is. So again, I asked already, but if you have had any experience or hands-on or, uh, with these blue phones, uh, let me know how how it went. So, okay. So, just a few shout outs for feedback from some of my episodes here. I think I for I don't know if I mentioned this in the last one or not, but thanks to Tom Stewart for reaching out and offering to uh, help me learn more about cricket. So, I guess he played cricket in the past and has watched and followed cricket. And he has offered to help me learn more about it. So even to the point where we may figure out some sort of streaming thing where we can watch a cricket game together and he can kind of explain everything going on, you know, all the nuances. So I've got I got to go back and remember the basics to it before that. But uh, yeah, I appreciate Tom reaching out for that. So I'm, I'm curious, as always, to to see and learn more about it so thanks again tom for that and uh, thanks to kyle helms for reaching out via email again always shooting me long emails and i shoot him long emails back and it's just uh, i appreciate that as always and also on the last episode episode 35 i want to thank keith bartlett for leaving a comment on that episode page which you can do at pixelswim.com if you so choose anyway he uh he was mentioning that he uses uh, Podcast Addict on his Nokia 8 because last time I went over a bunch of podcast apps that I use and suggestions and etc. So he uh, actually uses Podcast Addict on his Nokia 8. Uh, I've looked at the Nokia 8 in the past, Nokia 8 in the past, and actually I don't think you can get it here in the US or at least I should say you can't find a version for that will work with the the LTE bands that I need now if I'm I could be wrong about that but from what I could find from what I remember there's no version uh, for the US frequencies which is a shame because it honestly looks like a device that I would probably like to use (laughs) but um, yeah anyway he said he was using podcast addict on that and 
also he mentioned too that he his Lumia 950 he is he kind of retired it and and put it onto tablet duties quote unquote so you know just using it as a Wi-Fi device for basic things I imagine because uh, my 950 is getting to that point you know um, I just haven't quite given up on it yet I know I responded to his uh, comment saying you know something to that effect so. Yeah, uh, the 950 is still hanging around. Um, not quite retired yet. They're still pushing out, you know, monthly updates for it. But even with those, it still hasn't been, you know, it's still hard to to use it as a daily device. But anyway, thanks again, Keith, for leaving a comment on the, the show notes page, which uh, anybody can do at pixelswin.com. So. All right, so I just wanted to touch base also. Um, this is just continued notes here. Uh, I haven't done much in the way of setting up my own cloud this week. So I know I've been talking a lot about it over the past few episodes about trying to, you know, take my Google services and, you know, take them away <laughs> from Google and kind of set them up in my own setup, my own cloud. And I've been, you know, toying with Nextcloud and stuff like that. So I haven't been doing... I didn't really do anything this week towards that. I've just been using the LG G6, you know, which is siphoning off my data to God knows where. But <laughs> anyway, so but I am keeping an eye on that E Foundation project, which I talked about, and uh, I'm going to just keep my eye on it for now. I was like I said, I think before is it's a little bit in the beta stage and so not fully rounded out yet. So I'm just going to keep an eye on that for now. But uh, as far as my next cloud goes, I did look at trying to optimize my next cloud in, in installation on my shared hosting account. There's like a section, they provide a section in the admin interface to kind of help you to optimize the install. So I was trying to set up some some sort of caching on the server and PHP and stuff like that. I haven't quite figured out how to actually get that caching working so it's supposed to help things run you know a lot easier because it's it's it'll uh, help to serve up cache pages which means it won't have to do all the dynamic loading every single time on the website because it does run a little bit slow the interface on the web so uh, again i imagine if i can get that caching working it would speed things up speed things up exponentially so We'll see. Uh, I'm still working with Nextcloud. I think this week too. You know, I've <laughs> none of this stuff is easy. You know, it's it's not straightforward. You have to figure out a bunch of ways to kind of get around the services that Google offers, and so you know, it's no small task. Oh, and um, also Frank Needhart reached out on Twitter, and he was talking about needing or that I should re really should if you're setting up your own sort of cloud environment that you should be looking at backup options as well. It's just a good practice to have a complete backup of everything. So I did actually. <laughs> OK, so I said I didn't do much in, in the way of my own cloud since la last time. But I yeah, like I said, I looked into the optimizations for Nextcloud and I also looked a little bit at automating some backup some way to back up my next cloud stuff somewhere else you know and I didn't get too far there's some of it is a little bit too technical for me the stuff that I found so I'm going to keep looking and see what I can possibly do to 
create backups uh, from Nextcloud or even just sort of a double back, you know, a double upload <laughs> somewhere with all of my images or whatever. So, uh, yeah, thanks, Frank, for that. That's a, a big point that he makes, you know, like you don't want to just like you're putting all your eggs into Google. You, know, you don't want to just put all your eggs into your own cloud without having some sort of backup. And obviously, Google has, you know, their own system, and I'm sure they kind of account for data loss, hopefully. <laughs> but uh, if you're doing it yourself, it's definitely something you have to think of. And again, that just goes in line with what I'm saying about like having to cover all your bases. Um, if you're going to do it yourself, you have to cover all your bases and having a backup is definitely a big base to cover. So I appreciate it, Frank, reaching out and, and kind of, you know, you know, nudging, <laughs> nudging means, hey, you know, you should probably think about a backup kind of a thing. So, yeah, for sure, for sure. And that's something that would kind of help to round out the whole cloud experience. I'm sure that'll be a whole nother rabbit hole that I'll have to go down to get that accomplished. But we shall see. OK, so this week I also bought the or bought and or backed the soda pop bluetooth speaker and now i talked about this uh, i don't know if it was the last episode or the episode before that but uh, about the this bluetooth speaker that you can attach a a soda bottle to and it will help increase the bass using physics or whatever i don't know <laughs> i, I kind of understand how it works but i couldn't explain it to you but either way and it, it the speaker comes with its own kind of pre-designed bottle but I decided to just jump in and 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 pre-order one because I guess they will be shipping in November. So they they are taking sort of like a pre-order slash backing them or whatever. So I got the black version of it. I don't usually do things. I don't usually do the crowdfunded thing. Not any for any particular reason. I don't know. Just I've always I'm always hesitant towards it that I'm not, you know, going to get what I order or, you know, that it's just going to be a waste of time. But these should be coming in November. So on Indiegogo, I believe it was they have a page where you can pre-order uh, a bunch of colors and they even have, you know, different packages where you can order multiple speakers and different colors and stuff like that. So I got the black one. Hopefully that'll be coming in November. I'm looking really forward to <laughs> getting that in and trying it out. It's, I think it, it'd be interesting. I, I said I wanted to get my hands out and I wasn't kidding, you know, so um, we shall see how, how it goes with that. I'm, I'm curious. I'm, maybe even the first time I do a video review of anything. So uh, we shall see if it is any good and if it kind of lives up to what they're advertising uh, regardless it's kind of it's it was such an interesting idea and i i love that it was kind of thinking outside the speaker outside the box whatever and um, i think it'll be cool to try it out at the very least and even if it doesn't you know live up to it it was for me, it was, it's just kind of a uh, an experiment in getting my hands on something, you know, interesting outside of a smartphone. So and it's supposed to have a 30 hour battery life. So that's that's really cool. Even if that, you know, the the bottle part of it doesn't work, I'll just use the speaker because <laughs> it's a that's a stellar battery life. So, OK, one last note here before I go into just a, few, a bunch of links that I want to share, too. But uh, one last note is I've been seeing on the phone show chat the photos the phone show photos community i've been seeing a lot of new photos because all of the iphone xs 
exit 10 s um you know the the those have been being delivered to to people so there's fun there's a bunch of photos starting to be put up as uh, especially that i've seen in the phone show chat photos community so and i have to say i've been super impressed <laughs> with those photos um they look really great i think really it's the the uh portrait mode or whatever those improvements that they made where you can you know blur the background after the fact kind of a thing so i've been seeing some impressive shots with it and you know for and honestly that's saying something because usually i could care less about you know the the quality of a phone camera but i've been impressed with what i've seen and and also if you check out all about windowsphone.com uh, steve litchfield did post his comparison review with the Lum the uh the iphone 10s max and the lumia 950 xl so if you're if you're into those reviews definitely go check that out and i won't spoil which one won so but if you saw the his comparison with the iphone 10 last year you'll have an idea of kind of the direction <laughs> of the outcome but i'll put a link to that in the show notes so you can check it out okay so i've got a bunch of links and things that i want to go over here uh, i kind of went back through my email archive because i'm subscribed to a daily kind of news letter news feed called web designer news and usually that's where I get most of my articles from that I that I come across and that I share on here. So and usually the kind of <laughs> like this podcast, it, I, it crosses technology and design. So and kind of where they meet, like I say at the beginning. But the first uh, article that I want to talk about is called. Well, it's a blog post by Mozilla about Firefox, but and I, I wasn't aware of this. I'm sure maybe somebody had was aware of this already but or you may have been aware of this already is what i meant to say there but it's called explore the immersive web with firefox reality now available for viveport viveport <laughs> whatever it is vivaport oculus and daydream so basically this is firefox created a version of their browser for virtual reality applications <laughs> which is kind of interesting and funny uh natural progression i mean why not so essentially uh, if you have a, a headset you know virtual reality headset you can use their their virtual reality browser so it looks like it has a you know voice search type function in it as well and it, they say they designed it specific obviously it looks you know very designed for virtual reality headsets so i thought it was kind of interesting i'll put the link there a link to their blog post in the show notes if you want to read through more about that but i wasn't aware that they were building this um i, I know they announced it before this post was put out but uh they said because they talk about earlier this year <laughs> um they shared that they were building this and so this is kind of it's available now so and this blog post is written by Sean White on September 18th, so fairly recent here. And it's just kind of interesting to read through and see the examples that they put in here of how the browser kind of works as far as actually browsing via virtual reality. So it's a good start, I think, for virtual virtual reality head or browser. And of course, Firefox is, you know, a great organization. So you know that they're gonna be considering data, you know, security and and privacy and all that stuff so 
check that out in the show notes. It's kind of interesting and uh, we shall see how this develops as time goes on. I haven't really gotten into the virtual reality thing. I've only tried a virtual reality headset once for about two minutes. <laughs> so um, and then it was wasn't mine. It was uh, somebody else's, but it was with, a, I believe, a Galaxy S7 that they had. And yeah, it was cool. Uh, I definitely I have thought about getting picking up the headset for not headset, but the the goggles for the Alcatel Idol 4S with Windows that I have that does support it. And it actually was sold with VR goggles. But when I bought the device, they were selling it without. And so it was like, you know, ninety nine dollars without the goggles, just the phone. And so I jumped on that. But, look, you know, I've checked on eBay to see if I can just pick up the goggles just to try it out a little bit more. I never I didn't really I haven't really experienced much with the VR stuff, but I'm curious, you know, I don't it's kind of weird to me still. <laughs> it's not my first way that I think I want to interact with my electronics, but uh, it's definitely they're developing things more and more in this Firefox browser. VR browser is uh, just another step towards you know, kind of a full featured virtual world you can live in. So we, you know, it's cool. But at the same time, I don't know if I've bought in quite yet. Okay, so another article that I came across is on a website called css-tricks.com. And it's called Helping a Beginner Understand Getting a Website Live. And I thought I would share this. Uh, it's by Chris Coyier. Coy- I'm not sure how you say his name, but he's been around for a long time. Uh, I've I've been following his stuff. Uh, He does a lot of web development, uh, a lot of front end web development, especially CSS related stuff. And he's very, very good at it. And the CSS tricks is a great resource for uh, lots of articles about how to kind of create stuff on the web. And it It's always good explanations on here of how to do certain things. But this one I thought was really kind of interesting because it, like I said, it's called helping a beginner understand getting a website live. And so essentially he got an email from someone who was just is just learning to create websites, uh, web design and has set up their website with some HTML, CSS and JavaScript on there their computer using a a WAMP server or the Windows (laughs) for Windows. So essentially running, you know, the server on their Windows machine. But because they are so new to everything, they don't really know how to actually get their website live onto the Internet, which is a fair thing. Um, I take it for granted now because I've been doing it for so long that, you know, you kind of forget that it's not the easiest concept to figure out how to actually put your stuff out on the web on your own web server with your own domain name Uh, so he goes over the in this article it's it's really great if you're if you're looking to get a website online this is probably one of the best places to check out these are best articles that i can i can recommend (laughs) right now Uh, as far as the github stuff he talks about in here i'm not super familiar with that. I don't work together with a lot of people on websites. So versioning stuff isn't as important to me. So I've never really looked into it. I'm sure it's important. But anyway, he goes over the basics, you know, basically, you need to get a domain name, you know, and and he goes over 
you know, the fact that there's a ton of domain registrars out there. And he suggests a few, you know. Um, and I will say, if you're looking to register a domain name, that I recommend name.com, which is where I have all of my domains registered. I used to use GoDaddy. Uh, that was my kind of go-to. That was <laughs> what I knew. Uh, I think they kind of made a big splash in the the Super Bowl years back, you know. And I, that was, I mean, it worked because it was, you know, I didn't know where else to go, really that was that I knew of to get a domain name but now I use name.com and it's a much simpler platform uh, I actually originally found them because they offered the .im uh, domain extension and I was looking to do pixel swim as a domain name and so I wanted pixel sw.im and so that's originally how I found them because they were the only ones that I could find that were offering it and so uh, once I got in with them, I really found their service to be great. So name.com is definitely my suggestion for domain registrar. But then, you know, after you register your domain, you need to have hosting somewhere online. And uh, he goes over those as well. And I've mentioned in the past that I just switched to stable host shared hosting. So that is my suggestion there. But uh, yeah, go check this article out in the show notes if you want to kind of go over the proper way to get a site working and live on online because it's not, you know, you like I said, I, I take it for granted because I know it so well, but there, it is kind of a hurdle to get over when you first are, are starting and, and trying to figure things out. Like, how the heck do you get a website? You know, how do you do your own server or, you know, stuff like that and, and registering a domain and like, how does that all connect? And, you know, uh, it goes over everything uh, really nicely and it goes over how a CMS works, a content management system like WordPress, kind of how everything connects together, which is really a nice, he's got a nice uh, little infographic for that there. And uh, like I said, it's a good place to start because it kind of get a, in plain language, you kind of lays out how to get a site online or the, a proper way to kind of set up a a website for public, you know, public viewing outside of your, you know, hosting it on your own computer. So, uh, again, in the show notes, you'll find a link to that. And it's definitely a good resource um, because he kind of goes over the the questions that were posed by this person who reached out to him. And it kind of covers a lot of stuff that you may ask if you are looking to get a site online. So and I'll offer, you know, if anybody out there is some for some reason you haven't you don't have a site online or you don't know how I can I'll, you know, feel free to reach out or uh, Steve at pixelswim.com is my email address. So if you have any questions outside of this article or whatever, you know, I've been doing I've been putting stuff online for many many years. So I'm more than happy to offer any help too. Okay, so another, um, I found another a Medium post called Unboxing Chrome, Redesigning the Omnibox. So if you've noticed, uh, recently, Google has pushed out updates to Chrome uh, with big design <laughs> changes. And so this Medium post is by Hannah Lee. And so she's a designer at Google for Chrome, uh, for the Chrome browser for Android. And essentially, she this is a super in-depth post about their redesign of the Omnibox in the Android version of Chrome. 
and it breaks it down so well. Not even just the their specific redesign of the Omnibox or the the URL, <laughs> the search box, their search bar in and URL bar in Chrome for Android, but it also kind of goes over a short history of boxes in UI design, uh, you know, in in on screen design, and and how they've evolved over time and how they've implemented them into Chrome over the years. And so I thought the really interesting takeaway from this article is she goes over how they had to kind of go through all of the the code from Google Chrome, the legacy code and the legacy design elements of it, and essentially pull out all of the old stuff for this new version of Chrome. And so there's a there's a quote here. So because all the styling and the design has been built up over 10 years because Chrome is 10 officially, <laughs> which is crazy. But um, anyway, they they were using uh, she says we were using over 95 different shades of gray total in the design of Chrome. So and this is, again, all built up over the years. And basically, the, she talks about going through every aspect of these and and trying to get rid of everything uh, that they don't need anymore to kind of rebuild from the ground up a little bit uh, as far as the design goes. And so they, you know, like, like I said, there's 95 different shades of gray. And so essentially, uh, after a half a year, they figured out that they only needed eight of them <laughs> for the new design uh, across all of their all of the UI. So essentially, what that means going from 95 to 8 is they dug through what each shade of gray was being used for and decided whether or not they needed to keep keep them or or what was going on with each shade of gray and narrowed it down to the fact that they only needed eight. And they also did this for the icon sets in Chrome. So they went through and, and figured out what each icon is for and also, you know, weeded through and, and got them down which is which is crazy. And this is a really great post. Um, it's if even if you're not into design necessarily, the process on this one, usually I kind of get bored <laughs> with the process of designing stuff. But the way she starts the post and the way she brings you through the process of this creating just this is literally just about the address bar and the header, the header bar in the Google Chrome app on Android. And I thought it was really, yeah, I was fascinated by it. Usually I get about halfway through one of these and I'm like, okay, that's enough. But uh, she definitely breaks it down really well. So uh, in the show notes, check it out because I think uh, you can kind of learn a lot about the design process of of these things. And it's a crazy amount of stuff and work that goes into, or thought really, that goes into redesigning these interfaces. And the thing about Chrome is that it's, it's the reason I believe that they put in so much time is because the user base is huge. And so if you, you know, if you're going to change something, you better have thought about everything <laughs> when you're putting this out there. Every sort of iteration that you can potentially think of better be thought of. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of there's a huge user base on the line. Basically, you can't screw it up. You need to think things through, test things and 
And that's why it takes so long sometimes for these redesigns, you know, and at the end, there's just a, you know, you can see a basic before and after of what they did with the, with the address bar or the Omnibox. And it's such a, it seems so simple, but then you realize how much actually went into making it the way it is and why it is the way it is. So uh, check that, that out. Again, that's on Medium, which I've been coming across more and more articles on Medium. But um, like I said, that's by Hannah Lee. She is a designer at Google. So this is firsthand experience in that. And so a lot, some of it translates to into the desktop version of Chrome. So as because if you've seen the desktop version of Chrome and also the the Android version, they are very, you know, the, the design language has translated over into both. So check that out in the show notes. All right. So the last uh, article or string of articles or links that I want to share is about the same thing. Uh, it started with a an article on nymag.com that I came across via the web designer news newsletter feed thing I get every day, but it's called Google's plan to fix email is deeply flawed. And this is by Vijith Asar. And it looks like it's from March of this year. So it's, you know, it's a little bit a few months old now, but it's talking about Google and uh, AMP for email, AMP for email which is something I wasn't aware of. So AMP or AMP is accelerated mobile pages for email. And so I didn't know about this. <laughs> Obviously, I missed it back in March, but it's kind of a this article kind of goes over the the problem with using AMP for email. Uh, OK, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to go over what AMP is and what this actually means and what Google's trying to do here by bringing accelerated mobile pages to Gmail or just really email in general. So really what this is, is it is Google wants to bring more dynamic email content. And I'm going to put a link to their blog post about it in the show notes. And I definitely suggest reading through it because this really helped me to understand kind of what it means. And so right now, obviously, if you use <laughs> if you use email, <laughs> which if you don't I'm not sure uh, please uh, go look up what e email is <laughs> anyway what this is if you like I said email now is essentially some basic content uh, images text and attachments kind of a thing with some basic html for layout and styling and css for styling so and all of this is to keep kind of malicious you know for a long time you know you can't you can couldn't use or you can't use javascript or anything else to kind of create a dynamic email essentially an email itself is kind of its own thing and so when you receive an email everything in that email is self-contained and so what amp is is it, it from what i'm gathering amp is a sort of a new language it seems like a proprietary language that they, they created themselves to kind of create secured web pages basically this is this is my interpretation of it i could be off here but yeah the, to create secured web pages that you can access in your email inbox 
So the examples that they give, which really helped with the context of what they mean by this, the they have um, they have a few examples on this Google blog blog post. Uh, one of them is like, say you get a, an email from booking.com, which is, you know, where you can book vacations or whatever it looks like. And, and essentially, if they send you an email, you would be able to book things directly from the email. Um, you know, so essentially dynamic content, uh, the part of what they show in the, in, in, in a potential email from booking.com is, you know, you can, you can browse through images of a place where if, cause if you think about it in email, it's all static. And so if you were able to put an image, you know, an image slider in an email and then also, load in dynamic content to see different deals so the email wasn't static anymore you could actually go through con web content that they produce specifically for this email again go uh, go to the google post to to kind of see what i'm talking about uh, another example that they showed was uh looks like some sort of event email where you can respond directly from the email uh, that you are will be attending the event. And I also I think read in this that, you know, if there's a form or something that a, you know, you need you might need to fill out that you could essentially that form could be emailed to you and you can fill out that form in the email itself without having to visit a separate page. And this New York Mag ar article that I was reading, uh, they there's a lot of uh, backlash to this type of email and that this isn't necessarily kind of the direction that they think or a lot of people think that email should be going is having dynamic emails uh, where it's essentially a web page within your email because of the you know the I don't know because of the potential spammability of this and marketing annoyances of it and also for security reasons because even though it's using this very specific email or AMP language, uh, which, you know, limits you and what you can, the con kind of content you can include, it, you know, there's potential there that, you know, because there is a JavaScript element to this, that if there's a way to find essentially how I'll put it is if there's a way for people to exploit that, they will. And so the, the Google's kind of, presenting this as sort of the next level of email. And so in the the New York Mag article, they they you know, they talk about how this uh, will probably fail this idea. And, and and here I'll just read this this uh, the end of this article here. And so it says and yet AMP for email will probably fail in part because it's not very good, but also because most uh, most ideas fail in technology and business in the world. But the biggest flaw of AMP for email is simply that it can't reasonably be called version two of email. This isn't Google's fault. Version two of email doesn't exist anywhere else either. We aren't even trying. <laughs> so part of what they were going over in this article is, you know, that this isn't the next step for email. But anyway, so it also says that that this is such a profound moral fa failure that may be that maybe technical failure was also inevitable. And so a lukewarm quasi open standard pushed by a monopoly interest punts our indefensible collective apathy right into the next generation, deeply broken and silly 
and misguided, but also embarrassingly enough, still the best we can say we can do. Watching something as important as AMP for email land with the splat drives home the absurdity of the fact that in 2018, there's still no equivalent to NASA for the internet. That is, some kind of well-funded public interest research lab that could aggressively compete with the private tech sector in salaries and prestige. Instead, companies like Google get to decide how to build the future and even how we will talk about the future before it gets here. One thing has already been made abundantly clear by the AMP for email process. Even for Google, doing this properly is going to be a moonshot. So yeah, that that sums up the sentiment of the article really well. Obviously, they, you know, it's the the concluding paragraph. So, whew, yeah, I I don't know how to feel about this. I think it's kind of cool to have those things in Gmail, but at the same time, not everyone has Gmail, and this is this AMP language. While they're presenting it as sort of an open source idea to kind of create a cross platform email new type of email, uh, I think that's kind of a a huge endeavor and that, you know, just, I don't, I kind of agree with the article that I don't know if that's the next step for email is having dynamic content and bringing these accelerated mobile pages into your emails. Um, I think, yeah, I don't think that that's sort of an email 2.0 idea. Uh, It seems like it could be, but at the same time, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't see this being a good thing, um, especially because it's going to be massively exploited, massively exploited by, you know, advertising and, and stuff like that. And and I, you know, I just kind of prefer going off to another page, you know, clicking a link in an email and going to a page to accomplish these things. I think I don't think that that's a broken system. Perhaps some of the ideas that they're coming up with this uh for this would be a good idea. But um, like I said, I kind of agree a little bit with the sentiment that the, you know, there is Google's kind of deciding where email's going and not, you know, the general public, which is again, I mean, I you know, I've been trying to create my own cloud and get away from Google and and any third party uh company for, you know, my data, but this kind of that goes along with it. You know, they're they're deciding deciding that this is the way that they want to go you know and 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 while there may be some obvious benefits that i think there's not some not so obvious ramifications for this stuff so but i mean what choice you know do we have if advertisers pick up on this then it's something that google will continue to support and push so uh, who knows what the future is going to be fingers crossed (laughs) All right, so let's wrap things up here. Thank you for tuning in to episode 36. I really appreciate it. Uh, As always, uh, you can visit pixelswim.com for all the show notes, all those links that I was sharing here today. Uh, I know I rambled on for quite a bit today, but, you know, once I started finding some of these articles, I just started going with the, especially with the Google AMP project or AMP thing for Google AMP for email. Uh, I kind of was going down a little bit of a rabbit hole trying to figure out what that was. Sometimes you just can't find, uh, you know, layman's terms on things and you have to dig a little bit uh, to kind of get a better context of what the heck they're talking about. So 
Um, yeah, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you want to leave any feedback or follow along on any sort of social network, I'm on Twitter and Google Plus and uh, on my website at pixelswim.com. You can find everything there as always. So thanks for tuning in. Have a great afternoon or evening or dusk or or dinner or breakfast or midday coffee, whatever time it is when you're listening to this. So thanks again and Godspeed. speed.